When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, how good was that? An Old Trafford crowd starved of nights and matches like these. Desperate to see fight from the 11 players lucky enough to wear the Manchester United shirt. And fight we saw. The result, a momentous and quite uh, unbelievable victory against Liverpool. The result that changes everything for now. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thanks for joining me, Harry Robinson, and my co-host Jack Tate to revel in this brilliant, brilliant win. What a feeling it is to wake up with the warm glow of a victory like this one, to re-watch the highlights over and over again to celebrate with mates. Today, we're reviewing our 2-1 victory against Liverpool at a properly raucous, baying Old Trafford. We'll talk about that wild atmosphere you can hear in the background. We'll talk about Eric Ten Hag's tactics and setup, changes to David De Gea's role, a renewed and revitalised back four, the energy and spirit showed by a set of players, some of whom seemed destined for the scrap pile. We'll then talk about what this really means. How replicable is this performance going forward? How does Casemiro come into this? Do Harry Maguire and Cristiano Ronaldo regain their places? And if so, when? In the middle of the show, I'll give you a youth loan and women's roundup as the conquering Lionesses return to the club for pre-season games against PSG and Bayern Munich and the under-18s kick off their season. And then we'll preview the Saturday lunchtime match against Southampton. There's a lot to get through, so let's get stuck in. Jack, let's begin. We'll, we'll talk about the, the, the atmosphere of yesterday and the emotion and just what it... What it feels like to have a victory, as I was just saying, and then we'll talk about the tactics then, and after that we'll talk about, um, yeah, what what this performance can really show us going forward. But just in terms of the emotion, it was, uh, as, as you may be able to hear in my voice, it was a brilliant atmosphere, and it was just the kind of game that, that drains you. It's exhausting in the very best way you can have. And um, what, what a day. What a day to be a United fan. I've got to be honest, I haven't felt like that watching any game of football, but especially a Man United game in a really, really long time. I, I felt like a little kid, you know, when football felt like the most important thing in the world and that it would literally like completely change how you feel about your entire life if United won or lost. And football is obviously still really important now, but I, as you get older, I think that feeling of it being the only thing that matters in that two hours yeah. sort of goes away a little bit. And it fully came back for me watching that game. I, I yeah. felt so emotionally invested in it, even just watching on TV. Harry, I can't imagine what it was like in the stadium and I'd love to hear what it was like to be inside Old Trafford during the game. But just watching from afar, I mean, it, it, I felt drained. Just just watching it on TV, yeah. let alone the players that have played in it, you know, the, the manager, everyone involved, I think deserves a lot of credit 
for what we did because it felt I felt proud I felt proud being a United fan I felt proud of the team and I, I haven't felt pride in this team in this shirt in quite a long time I'll be honest yeah yeah it's one of those games where I, I, I can't even work out or tell you how many times I looked up to my right to the scoreboard <laughs> and, then, and it's one of those where, where you look up and only 15 seconds have passed at about 68 minutes until the end of the game and it, so it's one of those that at, at the time when you're holding on, it drags on. But now, yeah, I mean, it's only a day gone, but it's it's just, it it passes in a blur, a blur of kind of, of just celebration and, and tension and, and all of that. And, and yeah, it's, it really is a blur, but it was, it was a properly, because there was a mood about Old Trafford. There was a massive protest before against the Glazer ownership, which I'm not sure we'll have time to talk about today, but was not only just outside the ground in massive, massive numbers, thousands of people turning out, including people who didn't have tickets for the game and would just come into the protest. And then, though, obviously, those thousands of people in the ground and uh, many of them coming in after kickoff or just before kickoff, as as I did, but also many of them there for when Casemiro was brought out. And and even in that moment, moment uh, songs and chants of... Uh, against the Glazer ownership. So there was this mood there already. And there was also this mood of, in, in a way, we were looking forward to the protest and the news story of that more than the game, I think, for a lot of United supporters. But as the game nears and gets closer, you, you do remember that this is Liverpool and this is the biggest game of the season. And so you get closer to the game and that mood of, of anti-Glazer protests turns into this just desperation as I said in the intro this is a, a crowd starved of moments like these over the last 12 months and it is only 11 or 12 months we had some great moments last year with West Ham 1-0 uh, the comeback against Atalanta the comeback against Villarreal uh, the Ronaldo hat-trick Leeds against game. Spurs the Leeds game on the opening day but it's about 11 months and that isn't very long and it can be a very short time in football so much can change in 11 months but also in terms of not having many of those moments, 11 months is a long time. And so the celebrations that greeted the first goal that just went against all of what our expectations were for this game were, yeah, a little bit wild and just just brilliant. <laughs> it, it was kind of odd before the game because you're right, to be honest, I was obviously concerned about the game, but I... I think partially out of worry for what I would, where my yeah, mind yeah, yeah. would go if yeah. I did think too much Self, about the game. Self-preservation. Yeah, exactly. You thought more about how can we make the protest as effective as possible and hoping that will become a big news story. And that obviously was so important and still happened. But it sort of got to the point where the game started and I felt almost unprepared as a fan, which is yeah. sort of a weird feeling. But I, th- I mean, look, I'm, I'm generally not someone that likes to talk so much about the mental side of football, just because I think it's often just thrown out there as an easy way to talk about complex things. And because it's easier to explain, to say that someone's not hungry enough instead of explaining, you know, why the tactics might've been wrong, et cetera, et cetera. But more so than any game I've ever seen, the mental and emotional side of this was so, so clear to see. And you talk about setting the tone. This was, yeah. This was an, an Old Trafford, and Harry, you, you obviously will know more about this being being there, but this was an Old Trafford, a, a football club that the, the guys on Sky Sports said it after the game and we mentioned it in the last episode. Man United was on a knife edge at the start of this game. Mm-hmm. The whole club, the stadium, the fans, the players, everything. And right from the very start, Liverpool kick off 
a long ball into our right back channel and Diogo Dalla absolutely smashes into Louis Diaz. Yeah. And straight away, you just felt immediately that is a statement. Yeah, it's and out it of the box. And then carried on and after about 40 seconds, Martinez is clattering into the back of Salah, giving him a little shoulder charge as he, as he walks past. And these are tiny little things that don't actually impact the way the game is going tactically, but mentally yeah. you could just tell United were switched on and it, and it got the crowd firmly on side which and if that I think if United had come out and been sluggish Old Trafford yeah, would have yeah. been well, a really really bad place to play football well take a look at Brighton I was complaining after that game I think on here as well as just to to mates that the atmosphere that day was was really bad I thought um, and it was great when the players came out and there was a lot of support but the speed at which it turned and I said at the time on, on the episode after Brighton I get it um, but it was all too Arsenal for me in how quickly it changed. My own opinion aside, the the fact is at the moment at Old Trafford that the opening 10 minutes really do change things. And as we've always known at, at this stadium, and I think you could probably say almost every stadium across the country and the world, is that, well, especially in English football, I think, where the crowd reacts to what's happening rather than you, the, what you get with European crowds where the it's just one chant on repeat on loop until the next one comes and it's not a reaction to what's going on so specifically with English crowds you get you you can either get a vicious cycle as United did against Brighton where very quickly the atmosphere turns sour and there are a smattering of boos at half time and groans at every missed opportunity and players confidence drop or you can get this brilliant kind of conducive cycle where players going hard for challenges and the crowd responds and then You've, you've got that level of trust from the supporters as a player and it just carries on and carries on. And that's where you get the cliches of the Stretford and sucking the ball into the net and all of that. And it has a massive impact. And I, I, I don't think that should ever be underrated. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The way we started got that, got that completely. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, one of the players you mentioned, Martinez, Dallo, but also Varane and that back four and Maguire and Shaw not being included there and Varane and Malassia being included. And I think it was the back four in those opening stages and the passion with which they defended and the way they congratulated each other on, on their defensive actions, which got the best response from the crowd. That's the kind of thing we praise like the Italian defenders for, the Spanish defenders for, for that that intensity of... of uh, of focus and yeah, passion in what they're doing and determination to, to keep that clean sheet and, and not concede a goal. I think that really rubbed off and uh, that, that leads us nicely into the selection changes that Ten Hag made. Ferran coming in was a, a really good move and Malassia coming in was a really good move. Yeah, and they paid off massively. I've got to say, to be honest, I wasn't, as is usually the case when we actually end up playing well, I wasn't, and a lot of people weren't very happy with the lineup before the game, to be honest. <laughs> I I had really convinced myself that we were going to play three at the back, which in hindsight was probably a little bit of Kane and I talking myself into it <laughs> in the last episode. Yeah. But I just felt that you need to uh, need something sorry, different. You, you need the luxury of the the luxury of going to a game at Old Trafford means you virtually never know the lineup before you before yeah. the team comes out because the signal's <laughs> so rubbish. So I haven't known the lineup before the team comes out for ages, and then they walk out the tunnel. You're like, right, hold on, he's playing there, he's playing there, he's been dropped, whatever, and it's a sudden reaction, as it would be in the old days, I guess. Yeah, well, and, and you're just having too much fun before the game anyway to be to be yeah. too concerned about it. Yeah. yeah, you just sort of get in your own head when you're not actually at the game. Definitely. Um, but to be honest, 
you got to give Ten Hag so much credit. I, what I liked about it was that it seemed like I think I think sometimes managers they they change players and expect everything to just to just change because the, the players are different. But what I liked about this was that the changes that we had made in personnel were very clearly coupled with tactical tweaks to make yep. those players stand out. I think I used the phrase a lot in the last couple of couple of episodes, putting square pegs into round holes. And that's always going to be a little bit of the case with this United team just because of how the squad makeup is. But it felt a little bit better this week because people like Malassia and like Varane were able to play in roles that were much better suited to them rather than the likes of, say, Shaw, who, given the way that we wanted to play against Liverpool, very intense, really trying to yeah. get at them, be right, very, very tight to the man on the ball. That isn't Shaw's game. And that's, that's okay. There'll be games that are more suited to Shaw than Malassia. But... It, it felt like there were very clear ideas behind each of these changes. Same with Ronaldo not be not playing up front. Yeah. He very clearly wanted to get in behind, hit Liverpool quickly on the break. That isn't Ronaldo's game anymore. And so again, it just it felt like these were tweaks with very clear ideas in mind, which you know you can't really fault that at all. And I thought all the changes, Malassia was absolutely brilliant on that left hand side. Again, per- yeah, perfect for that kind of game. Scrappy, exactly, intense. and just on a on the mental level, that's his first start for competitive start for United and yeah. to come up against Mo Salah to play at Old Trafford in a United-Liverpool game on a Monday night when the team's lost two games by one by a heavy scoreline before and the mood around the club is terrible. The The way he performed, there were a couple of mistakes, but he made up for all of them. And the way he performed was I mean, that was whole, that whole left side as well, really, when you think about it, that whole left side, your Malassia on debut, Martinez yeah. come under massive fire the last few weeks. Ericsson new to the club and then Elanga, a young player, all right, has had yeah. about a season of experience, but still very young. You know, like that could have gone so badly wrong. And the way that they all responded to that was was absolutely yeah. brilliant. I, I thought the Ronaldo point you just made going back a, a minute or so was interesting as well. That it, I don't think it was just the fact that we wanted to get in behind. I thought it was also, a, so the first half, this obviously changed in the second half and we'll get onto that. But the first half, Rashford was really energetic and committed and and that also rubbed off on the crowd who have been on his back I think for for the last few months uh, but people around me certainly who are normally very critical of him were saying yeah that's that's right Marcus that's that's what you should be doing every game um, and then he obviously he changed his role in, this, in the second half but the first half he was energetic but he wasn't getting on the ball much because one of his key roles was to drop deep and pull Van Dijk or Gomez with him allowing the others to to go beyond him. Something that Cristiano Ronaldo obviously does not do as a player who is, as a, as a proper poacher and striker who is committed to getting to the box, ready to score goals. So that, that was another reason for that, for that decision. It wasn't just about personnel, but it, it, just in itself, the decision to drop two massive names, the club captain and Ronaldo, there are obviously different reasons. There's tactical reasons. There's Ronaldo's future being up in the air. But those decisions themselves will rub off on the squad and it is really important. But in terms of how we played in possession, it it was different to Brentford and Brighton and it was Ten Hag being a bit pragmatic and that that was good. Yeah, we talked a lot both directly after the Brentford game and then in the preview of the Liverpool game about, you know, where does Ten Hag go from here? Does he stick to his principles and, you know, really just believe in sort of that dogmatic way of going forward that I know what I'm doing is the right way to go and you guys, the players, are going to have to figure it out? Or does he become a little bit little bit more pragmatic? Does he maybe stray away from some of those principles and focus more on results? And I think it was a little bit of a balance of the two, but definitely leaning more towards that pragmatic side. You know, there were elements of this that, that weren't really a Ten Hag 
type of performance. We didn't dominate possession. We didn't control the game on the ball. I thought we controlled it off the ball quite well, but yeah. we we didn't, you know, when we got the ball, we weren't looking to to keep it. We weren't looking to be that that team that plays out from the back. We were looking to, yeah, I to think get that was the key quickly thing. and expose Liverpool's high line. And you know what? That's fine. You know, we saw that under, under Solskjaer plenty of times that this is probably how United play best in these big games at the moment. And, and again, I just think it was good that the tactics and the, the personnel decisions were, were married up because we had the exact right team to play in the way that we were set up to play and we exploited it perfectly. And I think that, that's really all you can ask for in a manager. Yeah, and it negated the weaknesses of our players and the team in general. Yeah. And, and look, it's very different because against Brentford and Brighton, those games were too early for him to, to sacrifice his principles. And I, I think he'll revert to them very soon because ultimately he's been brought in to build a long-term style of play and philosophy and, and all of this. And this is one of the things we spoke about that we were looking forward to seeing that identity week in, week out. Now, he's already kind of, this game, he sacrificed one of those things, one of those elements in terms of the build-up play and building out from the back because the way that David De Gea used the ball was completely different. We didn't see any of the short goal kicks from before. I can't remember a single one. There might have been one or two, but almost every time. <laughs> well, he did it. It wasn't from a goal kick, but he did pass it to Varane in so much trouble. Oh, yeah, yeah, point. he did and do that. That yeah. was basically the only short pass he played all game. Yeah, yeah. But in general, he targeted very specifically the space between Joe Gomez and Trent Alexander-Arnold, two smaller players instead of Van Dijk and a, a part of the pitch where Liverpool were really unprotected because Salah's in front of them and he doesn't do that defensive work. And uh, the absence of Thiago meant Jordan Henderson wasn't there quite as much to protect Alexander-Arnold. There were big gaps and that direct ball not only was a benefit to United in terms of the attack, but was well targeted, was deliberately targeted and also saved us a lot of trouble um, in terms of dealing with the pressure of Roberto Firmino and Luis Diaz and Mo Salah. So I and thought- it wasn't just from, from De Gea either. Like Martinez yeah. in the first 15 minutes twice put really good balls over the top into that channel too. It was clearly a, an area that we'd identified as a weakness. It's one thing to identify the weakness. It's another thing to actually exploit yeah. it. And I thought the players deserve a lot of credit for how they stuck to that. And then, you know, once you get a couple of, of early successes in the game doing that, that thing, you, you're going to just naturally, you'll, you'll know to keep doing it. And I thought, yeah, we, we did it really, really, really well. It was, I mean, look, many of the positives from this performance have been seen in other games against Liverpool and Oligan Solskjaer specifically Rashford against kind of identifying that weak spot against Alexander-Arnold and exploiting it massively. Targeting the left side is something Solskjaer did against Liverpool all the time. Those direct balls is something he did all the time. Uh, putting them under pressure is something he tried to do. I think I think the difference was the proper commitment to go in direct with De Gea. I think sometimes in those Solskjaer wins over Liverpool or, or draws, uh, we, we did that a lot. And paid and got the the benefits from it, but other times we'd go short and invite pressure onto ourselves. We didn't do that at all, really, apart from the example you've just mentioned. I also thought the out of possession quality and the how well drilled we were in terms of players covering for each other and players uh, and the the kind of pressing triggers correctly identifying when to press because there were a lot of times when Alisson had the ball and the crowd going like roaring the the players on to press him and and Bruno or Rashford is leading from the front and saying no we stay here for now and I thought I thought that was good as well so I think that was the thing that probably took this performance up a level over what we've seen in these big games from Solskjaer but we have to say a lot of these a lot of the of the way we just beat Liverpool was 
very similar to what we've seen under Solskjaer in big games before. Yeah, really, it's just that these are tactics that we've seen in big games under Solskjaer before, but had never been, maybe never been used, but certainly never executed against Liverpool specifically. We've had a lot of success doing it against Man City, a lot of success doing it even against Spurs, but against Liverpool, we'd never sort of managed to crack that, that nut. And one thing you mentioned that I wanted to pick up on and that really impressed me was the way we defended from the front. You mentioned there that sometimes the crowd was sort of begging the players to go and press and be really aggressive. And it was very obvious to me and impressed me a lot how controlled we were in that pressing from the front because it, it wasn't a, a crazy high press. It wasn't that every single time Liverpool's defenders or Alisson had the ball, yeah. Rashford or Sancho or Elanga or Martial were, were going and putting them under intense pressure. It really wasn't. It was more... I think what we really identified was that the centre-backs having the ball is okay, as long as they're obviously not stepping too far forward. But it was when the ball went either into midfield or to the full-backs that was then really the trigger. And as we've mentioned so many times on this podcast over a number of years, it wasn't just one player. You know, if, yeah. if Sancho Under went, Herrera. if the ball went... Exactly. If the ball went to Robertson and Sancho went, then Martial or Rashford would push onto the centre-backs and then Elang would push onto to Trent. And then we would try and squeeze. But it wasn't just the moment the ball came into those areas, we would automatically go and press. It was all very controlled. And you could see the communication between the front players. Like, so much better than I've seen it probably ever, to be honest. At, yeah. right? Just in, in defence even, you could clearly see them talking and gesturing to each other, either stay or go. And when they went, they all went. And... I'm sure that style will change. I think eventually Ten Hag will want us to be more aggressive in that press and probably be a bit more of a constantly pressing team. But it's very impressive to me that he could get us relatively well drilled after what had been a, a very yeah. shoddy start, obviously, in defence. Yeah. let's. Uh, we'll talk about how we take this going forward in a second. But just before we do, the halftime changes, or one change actually, Marshall Ferlanga was inspired it because it gave, just on what you said, the, I think this was more intense than what we saw under Mourinho or Solskjaer in terms of pressing. And I think that's the change at halftime was really crucial because United's players were knackered by the end. And I think had we not changed at halftime, we would have been even more tired. But Martial comes on for Alanga. Marcus Rashford goes to the left so he can use the energy that he'd put in the first half and now have some space to actually benefit from it and can really take on Alexander-Arnold and Joe Gomez. And Rashford did brilliantly, particularly with the goal, which we'll get onto. But Martial... Oh, Martial at his best. The perfect number nine play. Confident, holding the ball up, composed, good footwork, the right passes at the right time. As for the second goal, which was a great finish from Rashford. And and that was, that, that second goal was very similar to Solskjaer United. The first goal, I think, was actually, I mean, partly it was United-esque, a series of errors from Liverpool in defending, especially from Alexander-Arnold. But that first goal was actually a kind of hint, I think, at what we might see more from Ten Hag's United. But the second goal, very Solskjaer-esque and Martial at the heart of it. And he was at the heart of so much in the second half. A really, really good substitution and done really early as well. Yeah, I'll talk about Martial and then there was something on the, the first goal that I really wanted to highlight that I think will be will be key to, to this Ten Hag team going forward. On, on Martial, I, I always love, I always think that the, the ability of a striker to make the ball stick when it comes to him in, in a lot of are different you, situations. Are you listening, Luke? Such Haku? an underrated skill. It's not something that gets talked about, about very much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not something that gets talked about very much because it, it's not flashy, but especially when a team is under pressure, the difference that that makes is absolutely massive. And it's always been at his best, one of Martial's best skill. His touch and his close control is absolutely brilliant. And 
so many times. Obviously, the goal is the clearest example, the second goal, because that ball comes in. I think it was a poor touch by, was it Fabinho? Or was he not on at that point? It might have been Henderson, whoever it was. It was a poor touch of, of the clearance from Martinez. And that ball really gets fired in at Martial and Van Dijk is right on him. And that touch is so silky smooth, <laughs> right down at his feet. And then this next touch is out of his feet and then the pass into Rashford. And but that that first touch, it doesn't really seem like the important part of that goal. Obviously, it's the pass and then, and then the finish, but none of that is possible without that first touch. And yeah. I think bringing Martial on in that situation was great because although Rashford is much better, better than Martial running in behind and for the first half when we were sort of on top in the game, Rashford being in through the middle was was great. In the second half, it wasn't going to work like that. You can yeah. tell even in the last 10 minutes of the first half that the pattern of the game was already being set, that this was going to be sort of backs to the wall for a lot of the second half. And we needed that player up front who could get the ball under control and could just eat, just bide us a little bit of time and then play better passes forward than Rashford is, is capable of. So yeah, yeah very yeah. proactive from Ten Hag, just what we wanted and, and ended up being uh, an inspired sub. On, on the first goal, the one thing I wanted to mention was... He obviously had a great game, Martinez, and his defensive work has been highlighted no end. But his role in that first goal and the tone that it set for that attack should not go unnoticed because so the the, the, the sort of long build up to that goal, there's a ball into the channel from Fernandez to Rashford. He puts across uh, and then pulls it back to Fernandez, who plays a brilliant pass actually across the box to Ericsson. Ends up looking like the attackers broke down. It breaks to Malassia. He ends up having facing backwards and ends up having to lay it back to Martinez. And at that point, Liverpool are back in a good defensive shape. It looks like the attackers sort of fizzled out and we have to sort of rebuild and reset. And I think the normal thing to do for a centre-back in that situation is take a couple of touches, wait for Malassia to go wide and either just play out to Malassia or maybe turn the other way and go to Varane and you slowly sort of build another attack. But no, Martinez gets the ball and first time immediately fires it out to Elanga. And just that little thing that of speeding the game up just by a few fractions of a second and getting the ball straight back out to Elanga allowed, allowed yeah. us to exploit the fact that Liverpool weren't quite back in the, in the proper shape. And that's what catches Alexander-Arnold out because he's not expecting Elanga to have the ball yet. And so he's not tight when Elanga picks up the ball, which gives Elanga the space to play that one too. And every single pass after that, it's Martinez first time, Elanga has one touch, then into Eriksen. Ericsson first time, then Ilanga first time. And it's like three or four passes in a row, moving the ball quickly at good angles and at high speed. That is what United haven't done well. And we never did it well under Solskjaer. So we, we were never very good at unless we were playing into loads of space on the counter-attack. We expected it to happen yeah. a little bit more under Ranier and, and it didn't. But that, I think, is going to be a hallmark of our attacks against teams that are allowing us to attack them under Ten Hag. And I think this is, we've mentioned this with Martinez and, and Varane before, that I don't think either of them have the the higher, the ceiling in terms of how good their passing can be as Maguire or actually even Lindelof in terms of those balls, switching balls or, or balls in the channels. What they do have, and I think we said this, uh, I think when we beat Burnley uh, last season, that Varane had just come back into the team and you instantly noticed how much quicker United's uh just general passing but was in the back line and it was a massive it just it just kept that tempo going and this was especially because I think we what we really lack and maybe this will be Casemiro maybe it'll be Ericsson maybe it'll be someone else but what we really lack in, in the team is is the midfielder who can conduct the tempo of the game and raise the level of United's tempo during it when necessary and we said this about Varane last year and I think Martinez we said when we signed him it brings the same thing of just that quality on the ball 
it's kind of the anti-Chris Smalling thing, isn't it? Where he's he's not yeah. the he's not a defender who has to change his entire body shape to pass with his left foot. It's the it's the other end of the spectrum where you can just control it well and pass it quickly and keep the tempo going. And that's generally, and then in the example you're saying, it's obviously that that's the extreme example of it where it's the quick thinking and and the quality of pass that really that, that's a game changing moment. Um, even though as as you say, it's in the kind of long build up, not the very, very kind of assist or the assist to the assist. Um, just before we move on, the finishes for the goals, it would be silly of us not to talk about Jaden Sancho, five touches in the box. That's, that's, that is cage football. If I've ever seen it <laughs> kind of put on the Premier League stage, the composure to do that and the, just the way he assessed everything around him, carnage going on, the, the, the intake of breath from Old Trafford as the ball comes to him and still one touch, another touch, a pull back, one more touch with his left foot and then with his right into the empty corner of the goal is is brilliant. And Marcus Rashford, a really brave decision, I think, to go for the near post because Alisson was kind of shaped, kind of teasing him, leaving the near post open a bit so that he'd he might go for it and miss it. And instead he tucks it into that bottom left corner brilliantly. So that was also really good. Both of them. The the, San, the Sancho finish just really quickly reminded me a lot of, I can't actually remember exactly when it was. I think it might've been in the COVID season. Rashford scored a relatively similar goal away mm. against Crystal Palace. Do you remember that where he got, he got the ball in the box yeah. and he sent about three players in with a slide tackle and the goalkeeper just dragged it back yeah. and passed it into the net. And it felt very similar to that. I mean, the just how do you have well, that kind was, of composure, you know, to to, to just I, kind of sit there and do after, that? Uh, I think by MUTV who said just like, what, what are you thinking then? Um, and it, it's just, it just shows you how different, how different we are to these kind of abnormal humans who are outrageously good at this. Yeah. And he was like, he said, to be fair, I've, I've been in that situation a lot of times, so. It was, it was all right. And it was like, what? <laughs> I've been in that situation a lot. Well, yeah, you got great. But also there are 75,000 people staring at you and 72,000 or 73,000 just willing so hard for you, for you to finish that chance. And, and all of that just gets shut out because, yeah, I mean, he's right. It's, it's muscle memory. It's, yeah. it's yeah, it's practice and, and perfection there. That Maybe Rashford goal, by, by the way, that I was referencing, it was July 2020 away at Crystal Palace. So it must have been in Project Restart. And it, right. it's sort of the mirror image of Sancho's. He's going to the left and pulls it back and finishes it in the in the far corner with his right yeah. foot. It's the, it's a bit of a Berbatov quality, isn't it? That yeah, ability yeah. to just make the, keep the ball within a centimetre of your foot in the penalty area where things are just normally so chaotic and quick. Um, let's move on. There's so much to talk about. Let, let's talk... How, what does this result, apart from the, the, the joy it's brought me and everyone else and the confidence boost for the players and all of that, what actually, what can we take this from, from this result? Because as we said, Ten Hag went pragmatic keys. He went to buy time with the result and, and maybe that's a cruel way of putting it, but he did give up some of the principles that he wants to instill on this United team by telling David Hare to go direct all the time, by kind of sacrificing that emphasis on building out from the back. And it, it makes sense. I I completely agree with it. I was hoping he was going to do it. I think, as I said in the preview for the match, um, that that will obviously come, won't it? And this is a result. That it, it, the attitude was the biggest thing here. And I think a really interesting story that uh, Simon Mullock from the Mirrors put out just before 
we recorded this is saying, I mean, the headline is basically after Ten Hag told the United players that they'd run 13 or 14 kilometres less than Brentford in that game. And then he told them all to run that distance in training the very next day. He cancelled the day off the next day, made them run it the next day. Simon Mullock says he was prepared to shoulder some of the blame by matching them step for step over the full distance. And that's, we we wonder what he's done during the week to get this buy-in and intensity from the players. And that maybe is one example out of many, or maybe just the one example to get the trust and and, and earn loyalty from the players. And I think this, this result and performance is mainly about the attitude and it's about buying time. And slowly he can begin to change how United build up and make the squad fitter and obviously also build the squad depth and quality in the transfer market as well. Yeah, listen, I think tactically first, I think as good as this was, and it was very good, there is less to take out of this tactically than you might think, just because this isn't the type, the style of game that we're going to play every week. It, it, if we turned up and tried to play this way last week against Brentford or the week before against Brighton, it probably would yeah. have gone very differently just because it isn't the type of game suited to, to this kind of tactical approach. And that that's fine. I think the fact that Ten Hag was able to turn the mentality of this team around so quickly from last week is what stands out most to me. And you mentioned that that story that's come out a couple of hours before we recorded this about Ten Hag really basically punishing himself alongside the players. Like that is the kind of thing that makes players buy into a manager. We talked so long for last season that it felt like the players never fully bought into Ralph Ranić. And I'm not saying that they have bought into bought into Ten Hag yet, but that kind of showing that I am in this as much as you are and that we are all going to you know, ride the good times and be punished during the bad times is the sort of thing that makes players buy into a manager and yeah. believe that they are part of this together rather than, you know, at, as at times has happened at United and plenty of times at other clubs as well, you know, when things start to go badly, you hang the manager out to dry and you just sort of want to go into self-preservation mode or at least the leaks in the dressing rooms and not being in it, you know, fully as one team. Like that is the kind of standard that, I think is great to be setting. I mean, it, it seems quite clearly to me that it's something that's been put out there by whoever at Carrington as a way to try and gain some some sort of respect for yeah. Ten Hag, which is fine. But, you know, the just the fact that it happened, I think is a good thing and a good sign that Ten Hag is able to, to make the squad and be able to turn them yeah. around. I think the challenge now is, okay, how do you make sure that the, the, this group who have been notoriously up and down, how yeah. do you make this group approach every game with that mentality and not just a game where we're sort of fine for our lives against uh, against our biggest rival. Yeah, because we know so many, specifically, I think, someone like Diogo Dallo, who I think is always up for these big games. McTominay. And it is, re- yeah, McTominay as well. Two players really responsive to the crowd. Others like uh, Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford kind of seem to, I think they're, they're the kind of players who don't really listen to the noise around them in the stadium. Dallow is one of those who's always getting the crowd up. But yeah, players like Dallow and McTominay, but there's two challenges here and they're actually, I mean, unsurprisingly, they're exactly the same challenges that faced Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. One is, yeah, this doesn't change what we know about these players. We know that they can perform. We know that they can fight and and give this kind of energetic performance, but they have to do it in every game. How do you do that? And the second is, how do you go about changing this team from good, sometimes good against the big teams and aggressive and intense and managing to pull off momentous victories 
how do you make those victories momentous and actually progress this side onto something else? And that's what Solskjaer was trying to do in the summer of 2021. And that's what he failed at. And that's why he was eventually sacked because he, he couldn't change the team into, into something different. And that's what Ten Hag's been brought in to do, to change how this United team plays. So the challenge is exactly the same. It's, it's going to be difficult, but I think him going pragmatic in this game is, is a really good sign. And now as we play Southampton and Leicester, it, yeah, there's going to be more hurt. We're probably going to lose to one of Southampton and Leicester, I'd predict, because this United team's inconsistent and don't know how to play in Eric Ten Hag's style yet. And we'll be going back to that because it's a very different game. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's still a massive, I don't think long term this, this teaches us that much. Its importance is just in the mood. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, I think we learned a little bit maybe about some of the players and especially I think in Martinez and Varane probably learn yeah, about how yeah. they can play together and but Malassia, tactically yeah. and Malassia yeah but I think tactically you're right there isn't a whole lot besides that to take out of it just because playing against Liverpool is a fundamentally different challenge than it is playing against 13 or 14 of the other 19 or 18 <laughs> yeah. teams in the Premier League it's just yeah. not the same and you approach it differently the way you have to set up for it is different and the way you respond to it is different and we did that but United have also shown, not necessarily against Liverpool, but especially against Man City in the past, we've shown that we can do that in these kind of games. It's been, how do we consistently beat the other teams that on paper United should be beating more consistently? Yeah. And that that is going to be the big challenge because the two things that we talked about so much that were plaguing United were control in possession and then defensive transitions. Well, didn't really have to deal with too many of those against Liverpool because we didn't play out from the back and we didn't control possession. When we had it, we looked to go forward very, very quickly. Well, we're not going to have that kind of space to work, to work in, to play forward that quickly against most other teams. And defensive transitions, we didn't have that many of them because we never kept the ball for very long. And that was fine in this game. But, you know, let's say against Southampton this Saturday, there probably will be periods and we have the ball for a bit longer and we will lose it and it will break down and we're going to have to be in that defensive transition again. And so in terms of the two big weaknesses, they weren't really tested that much against Liverpool. And it still remains to be seen how we're going to improve in that regard. And that's why I think the Southampton game this week becomes really important, A, for the momentum and the mood around the club, but also have we learned from the first yeah. two games where those issues were brutally exposed. And we're going to talk about that Southampton game in just two minutes. But first, a youth and loan roundup and then a little update on the women's preseason as well, starting with the under-21s who, after two defeats to open the season, managed to 2-2 draw away at Everton. United went ahead through Mark Gerardo and then Isaac Hansen-Aaron and then a Thomas Cannon double before half-time levelled things up 2-2. No goals after the break. United were good in the opening half hour, especially not so much after, but decent. I think Dan Gore, probably the standout player in midfield. The under-18s opened their season with a 3-0 victory against Nottingham Forest, who they beat in the FA Youth Cup final back in May. The goals came from Manny Norkett, Ethan Williams and Ethan Wheatley. Norkett's goal was clinical and composed. Sam Murray provided two assists. Sam Mather had a good game on the wing and centre-back Louis Jackson too. It was an impressive performance all round. Uh, the sad news that Ruben Curley suffered an ACL injury, as has Ethan Ennis, who was hitting such great form at the end of last season. Both will take some time to recover. Uh, as we all know, but they're positive about it already. And hopefully they, I mean, the fact that they're both recovering from the same injury, hopefully they can help each other through that process. The under-18s are back in action against Liverpool away next Saturday. 
In loan news, Alvaro Fernandez is still out. He's wearing a cast on his leg after an ankle injury halfway through his first start in which he contributed two assists for Preston North End. Hopefully he'll be back soon for them. And on the other side of the fence, at right back, Ethan Laird started against Rotherham for QPR in... Sorry. Ethan Laird started against Rotherham for QPR in a 1-1 draw. The United women's team welcomed back the four Lionesses, Nikita Paris, the new signing, as well as Alessia Russo, Elatuna, Mary Earps. As they played in the Amos Women's French Cup, they beat PSG 1-0 and then lost to Bayern Munich 3-0 in the final. It's a great pre-season trip with two massive challenges against two very good teams and a, a bit of a litmus test and one handled pretty well and would have taught this team a lot. Their season doesn't start for another couple of weeks yet. Jack, we've spoken about how the, the Southampton game is a, uh, probably a better a better indicator of where this United team are at under Ten Hag. And now that we go into it in a good mood with positive and they'll be buying from the players to Ten Hag and there will be Casemiro as well. It's, it's a bit exciting again. It's a very, very different prospect to Liverpool. We're going to have to break a team down, as you've just been saying before the, the youth roundup. And, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting how Ten Hag approaches it. Do we go back to looking to build out from the back with De Gea passing short? I expect we probably will. I also expect a debut for Casemiro. He seems very keen to get started. He had a full preseason and with Real Madrid and then played in the Super Cup, so he'll be ready. Um, and so probably a midfielder of Casemiro, Eriksen and Fernandes, um, with Eriksen kind of doing what he did against Brentford, being the player to, to receive the ball from De Gea in that build-up play. And then Casemiro being really key in defensive transition. So already on Brentford and Brighton, we've got an enormous improvement if Casemiro comes into the team, haven't we? Casemiro could, could make all the difference and I, I would expect him to start, to be honest. Like you said, he seems absolutely raring to go more so than I've seen yeah. from most new signings. It, it will be a, a big challenge against Southampton. They're a team... We actually haven't lost to Southampton since 2016. I, before the episode, we before we started recording, I looked back at our results together because in my head, they're a team that we struggle against, but we actually haven't lost to them in six years. But we yeah. have had a lot of draws in that time and a yeah. lot of come, come from behind wins. They are a team that challenge us mainly because over the last few years under Ralph Hasenhutl, they are a team that press very high up the pitch that don't allow you time to play. And we haven't been very good at that. And again, this will be a repeat to some degree of the challenges we faced against Brentford and Brighton because they also are two teams that press you high up the pitch. Obviously against Brentford, yeah. a couple of the goals directly came from us losing the ball under pressure. And it's going to be a similar challenge. I don't expect Southampton to, to stray too far away from that blueprint that was set by Brentford and Brighton in terms of how you play against this United team. So it's going to be up to us to figure out how you play against it. Like you said, Casemiro will instantly be a, a big difference maker for us because all other things being equal, if you say take Fred out of or McTominay out of the lineup for Casemiro, immediately that's a big upgrade both defensively and on the ball. And you would hope that we would come into this game with a lot more confidence and able to to hopefully build on what we just saw against Liverpool. But like we mentioned, tactically, so that so that, that that's sort of on the mental side of things. You hope you can build on Liverpool, but tactically it is going to be a completely different challenge now. Yeah, I thought Ericsson was really outstanding against Liverpool, and he was he was good in the games against Brentford and and Brighton as well, despite those results. And I think I think he'll probably retain that kind of number six role. Actually, uh, I think had De Jong come in or or a similar player, then they would obviously be taking that role. But Casemiro isn't Casemiro's qualities are not in kind of building play from deep. 
he can he has real on the ball quality that much is obvious but it's probably better around the halfway line rather than in the position where Ericsson was receiving it from De Gea against Brentford and Brighton um so I think Casemiro will be key in, in the defensive transitions but probably replace Fred in that kind of higher number 8 role when United have the ball and as one of the two sitting midfielders when United don't have the ball so I think Ericsson will keep that which is Interesting, and I thought Ericsson uh, was really good against Liverpool, and I think is impressing me more than than I anticipated, and in a different role than I anticipated. And I think everyone would have done. A couple of really nice moments against Liverpool where he picked up the ball from clearances, and we've often had a trouble when when we when we're having to defend quite deep. We've often had trouble at keeping the ball when it yeah. drops to midfield. And Ericsson was so good. A couple of occasions played brilliant passes out to. There was one in particular, there's like a drilled pass that just skipped across the turf out to Sancho that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I think the forward line's really interesting for this because, I mean, Ronaldo, who knows? We don't know about his future, but it's also a different kind of game. So against Liverpool, we obviously started Alanga on the left, Rashford up front and, and Sancho on the right with Fernandes behind and Fernandes and Rashford kind of interchanging in who was the furthest forward. It's a game with fewer counter-attacks, for us at least. I imagine there'll be some for Southampton. And a game where kind of more crosses are likely, uh, and you're going to have, have to be building up. So it, it's, uh, it, it's probably, Martial will probably start at number nine, but some would argue you want Ronaldo in there to, to be on the end of those crosses. Others would argue, I think I'd lean more on this side that you need to be, you need to kind of break this Southampton defense down really well. This is regardless of Southampton's quality or form. You're going to have to break their defence down properly and Ronaldo's not quite conducive to that. So it's probably going to be Martial, Rashford and Sancho, would you agree? I, I'd agree that's probably what's most likely. I, I think this is a game I think suits Ronaldo more than definitely Liverpool would have done. And to be honest, yeah. I wouldn't be upset if he did play because I do think that ability to be a bit more of a poacher in the box could end up being really helpful if United... Like I think Martial will be... Will, would be really beneficial in this game if United need another body to be on the ball a lot to control the game. If we're able to control the game in possession without the striker being particularly involved, then I think Ronaldo becomes more suited to it because he is ultimately a better finisher, has better movement and gets into more better goal-scoring positions than Martial does. Yeah. So obviously that is a big what if and I don't know exactly which way the game will go. I think... Based on how we played against Liverpool, I think to some degree, Ten Hag is sort of forced to go with Martial because how can you move away from that? I know we've been saying it's a different game, but how, how can you how can you go away from what we just saw both in pre-season I, and against I, Liverpool? I, I think you can easily bring Ronaldo back in. I think the decision for me is made easier by the fact, the decision to leave him out would be made easier by the fact that he hasn't committed himself to the club and we don't know where he's going to be in two weeks' time. Yeah. And so I don't, I think you shouldn't be playing players like that. So I'd leave him out anyway. Just I, I, so This is something that, that's been on my mind, so to change the subject slightly. Given that Martial is back and seems to be playing well, do you think there is a world in which, and let, let's assume that there's still no real takers for Ronaldo, do you think there's a world in which the club and Ronaldo agree to just part ways and terminate his contract? I don't think it will happen. No, but- <laughs> no because the Glazers will want to, ultimately, I think. I think the the appetite for keeping Ronaldo is driven straight from the top, as it was with Martial about four years ago, because they like him and they see Ronaldo as a massive player commercially and they just like the fact that Ronaldo plays for United. I think it's as simple as that. So they yeah. might sanction a departure if United were getting paid a fee and if Ten Hag was very keen for it, 
I don't think they'd just part ways, given that you'd also have to pay him a load of money. Yeah, I, I just, I, I'm just intrigued how that's going to be dealt with if Ronaldo does end up staying and is either not quite happy to be there and or may, maybe end up playing on, being on the bench for half or even more of United's games. You just sort of wonder how that is going to play out. I remember saying a few weeks ago that I think if Ronaldo's here, he's got to be one of the main men in the team because otherwise he can become a little bit of a problem in the dressing room. And I'm, I'm just intrigued how that's going to be dealt with. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. We've got to wrap up and go on to the bonus Q&A for patrons. The last two things I'll say, and then I'll give you an opportunity to mention anything else as well. Brilliant moment where Roy Keane and Casemiro shared a hug. And I just, when me and my brother got back, um, we went for a few drinks after the game to celebrate, got back, had a pizza and we were looking for the highlights and they couldn't find them. Um, and so I just watched Roy Keane's soccer box instead for half an hour and just had a pure Keane loving. Um, but the regard and the esteem with which Casemiro went over to Keane there and and Keane, it, it just looked like Keane was giving him just very concise and kind of instructions and you just thought, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, that was nice. And the other thing, I can't remember. So I'll let you say anything if you've got anything left. <laughs> Well, I mean, on Roy Keane and Casemiro, yeah, just the mutual respect was very much there. Yeah. Two masters of that of that position. The other thing I wanted to to mention was just that if if in a few years things go well with Eric Ten Hag at, at Man United, I think there is a chance we look back at this team can fucking just <laughs> play football as a bit of an iconic quote yeah. from Ten Hag that he dropped on Sky Sports after the game, which yeah. I absolutely yeah. loved. I love that as well. It was just a great day. Right. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Patrons, we'll be with you right in a second for some interesting questions on Casemiro, on uh, the confidence of the players, on whether Maguire and Ronaldo can get back into the team and Shaw as well, and also on transfers, as always. Uh, the rest of you, for our thoughts throughout the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at... At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Have a great week. Enjoy the Southampton game on Saturday. We'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. Network.